Hello and welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Mission Cigar and Social here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debman, and I'm joined by the man who doesn't know how many months are in the year, Mr. Shane Reeves. Absolutely. And all that... For what you I, had to know that was going to be the... Oh, I, yes, because Trey put notes in the drive, and I thought for some reason we were in June. Yeah. <laughs> and I just my brain was there. I, <laughs> I think it's because I'm looking ahead to all the things I've got coming up, and I, I'm just rushing time. This So today is the last day of any sort of peace and calm in my life for the next month, so I completely understand. We've got... My wife has a, a two-day meeting in office starting tomorrow. So that means, you know, late nights at the office, coming home, that sort of thing. Wednesday, she leaves out of town for a, um, a conference. Next weekend is Memorial Day, in which I'm going to be out of town with the kids by myself. Because then my wife turns around and goes back to another conference... And for that one, she's gone from Monday until Saturday. She comes back. We've got the Comic-Con that I'm taking my daughter to. And then I leave from Comic-Con in costume to go to the airport to get on a flight to go to New York for three days for work. (laughs) Are you going to be wearing your suicide bomber costume? Uh, no, I think I'm going to save that for the first day uh, of the Comic-Con just to to reduce it. Okay, what are y'all dressing as? So... Emma's really into this anime called Demon Slayer. And so the first day, it's a family costume. And it actually works out really well because one of the primary demons has the ability to shrink. So my wife and my son are going to be the full size and the small size of the same character. So it works out well because the main character, who I'm going to be dressing up as carries the mini demon around in a box like a backpack so we're going to put lane in the baby carrier on my back and just build a little box around it and that's going to be how we move around okay i've i'm you know i've loved sci-fi all my life i love cartoons all my life i do not get anime at all see i don't either but it makes my daughter happy so we we jump in but have you ever asked her what she likes about it You know, I I haven't because it's just because there are a handful that she's into. And I just I I don't think there's going to be an answer that she could possibly give me that's like, okay, that makes sense. You know what I mean? It's going to be a little indescribable. It's going to be it's not going to be something that she can put into words. I'm I'm certain of it. Um, But I will say, even though it's not really my thing. And I feel like you would disagree with me on this. There is something fun about dressing up. I love a good costume. Absolutely. Now, I like a subtle costume. You know, when I wear my knickers when I play golf. Right. I like that. You know, because it's subtle. It takes a second look. Oh, yeah, he is wearing the more proper golf attire. Or or trying to channel your inner curly. Right. So I do like, um, I like it, but I like it subtle. I don't like it overt. The best costume I ever saw at Comic-Con was, um, we went, I had a, one of my buddies um, was huge into this stuff, and he, um, he wanted to go, 
And so I said, and of course, his wife wasn't going to take him. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I said, yeah, I'll take you. We'll go. So me and him and another buddy all get together, and we go there to go to Comic-Con. And this guy just had on, you know, the sandwich boards? Mm-hmm. That ju- and he had the full, looks like the crazy religious guy standing outside the airport. It just said, Galactus is nigh. Oh, that's pretty good. And I thought, that's the, that's the most simple, best costume ever. And it's not overly hot. Right. Easy to manage. Yeah. Because that's the problem. Was it? Now, I respect the heck out of the really elaborate, you know, I'm in a bunch of 3D printing groups, and guys doing full, like, Samus from Metroid Prime or Iron Man, doing full 3D printed, like, mech suits and stuff. And, like, I, I admire the heck out of that. But I also like the guy who just wears a bathrobe and a white T-shirt and, and walks around carrying a, a rocks glass as, as being Big Lebowski. Like, sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in, I like the more simple, the better. So you want to talk about our cigars tonight? We probably should. So I brought this up on tray. So we're smoking a Cuba Aliados by E.P. E. Carrillo, but they're distributed through Oliva. Okay. So... Um, Oliva guy was here a couple weeks ago. He handed me a cigar. I can't remember what it was, but it was one of the best cigars I ever smoked. It was amazing. But it was like 19 bucks a stick. Okay. And then he had this line. because So there's two new cigars that Oliva is doing that E.P. Carrillo blended. Okay. And he handed us this one, and Mark ended up ordering this one rather than the other one just because of price point. I understand completely. And I didn't smoke this one until it got in. And the other, so the other night I brought off, I brought, got four of them. Me, my wife, Willie, one of the owners, and Rich all smoked the same cigar just to get an idea of what it was. Yeah. None of us liked it. You know, Cold Draw didn't really do anything for me. I, I get, I get no flavor. I get no, I mean, it draws well. I'll say that much. It's, it's, this is going to sound so silly if you if you're not. It's boring to look at. It just it's it's the perfect bland non-color, like it's not light enough to be Connecticut. It's not dark enough to be Maduro or Broadleaf. It's just, you know, it's like if you put cigar into Chat GPT and this is what the well, picture wait, that would come out. Yeah. So it is an Ecuadorian wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, and Dominican and Nicaraguan filler. So it's a pretty generic definition, too. Pretty generic blend. You know what, though? I don't hate it. I like... So we smoked the more expensive version. Mm-hmm. And it's like 17 bucks a stick. And we smoked the more expensive one because I want... It's always... It's one of the hardest things about being as entwined in a shop as I am is I feel bad when Mark brings in, you know, $1,000 worth of a certain cigar. And it's a dog turd. Right. And I say, oh, it sucks. Because he's like, don't tell anybody that. But inevitably, somebody will go in the humidor and say, hey, what do you think about this cigar? And I'll say, well, it's not my palate. Which everybody knows. That's your tell. Right. Everybody knows that that's me saying, and I can't. so, So I'm wondering if it would be more merciful if somebody walked in. And they said, what do you think about this cigar? And I just said, it sucks. And get them to smoke it in spite of me? You know, I think that would be more likely to happen. Or do the other thing, which is, you know, the draw and the construction is perfect on it. Or 
it really surprised me. You know, there, it's so funny we're having this conversation right now because there's been, and I'll say it after, I'll have to tell you after the show, I apologize to our listeners, but I know I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings really bad. Yeah. But I've had another experience this week where I've had to dance around <laughs> quite quite extensively. Yeah. So, but anyway, moving forward. So we're smoking the Cuba Aliados by E.P. Carrillo. And um, this size, this is the 1250 one. This is the little cheaper one. Um, I'm getting cardboard and roses. Wow, that's that's remarkably specific and really accurate. Thank I you. definitely get the cardboard. Yeah, it's well, I get the cardboard on the front end, and then just as I breathe through just it, a little I just bit get, floral. Yeah, just a little bit of floral. Cardboard and roses. So I thought that was interesting. But it's speaking, like a San Diego parade. Speaking of blends in a cigar, J.C. Newman Cigar Company adds more hand rolling classes. So this is in Tampa, and what J.C. Newman does is on Friday evenings, they'll do a hand roll class. You come in, you pay your money, and you work with their rollers, and they actually let you roll and take home five cigars. And it's 75 bucks entry-free. So if you think about what, let's say you're getting five $10 cigars at the end of it, so you're paying $25 for the experience, not bad. There's only six people that can go in at a time, so it's a very exclusive. Um, yeah, I couldn't figure out when I read this whether or not this would be something you'd be into or not. This almost sounds like it would cross the line of nerddom for you. No, it it actually crosses more from my white collar to blue collar. I would rather be putting the blends together until you were right. there roll that. <laughs> So it's really less for me on that basis in that, because the thing is, do they hand you, do they say, okay, today you're going to roll five brick house? I I bet that's what it is. See, I have no interest in the mechanics of rolling the cigar. I want to blend it. Right. I want to be there. I want to be blending. I don't mind if I have my own personal man Friday. That will just roll does for, roll it for yeah, you. Yeah, just roll it for me. Just want to say, um, hand me a little of that binder. Hand me a little of that filler. Okay, I think these two will go. Yes, this is what I would like you to do. Please just hop to it. So I think that would be more my. I, I would be more likely to pay my seventy five bucks for that experience than I would for this. And uh, and you know, there's so many, and we're going to talk about this later in the show. We probably should have tied these two articles together. But there's so many really cool things you could do with cigars if you had somebody that, if somebody owned a shop that owned a factory that had rollers. Yeah. You know, it'd be, so it'd be really cool to come in here one night and have 10 guys pony up a hundred bucks each and blend a cigar. And at the end of the night, you decide, everybody smokes it and decide who like, whose blend is best. Even, you know, and that's going a step beyond it, but like even... You know, Don Gonzalez and the and the rolling events. He's the only one doing it. Like I can't believe it's not like he has a trademark on it. I can't believe he's the only one that grabs a you know, taps a roller on the shoulder and says, Come on, we're going to America for a week. You know, yeah, and it's kind of the, the backbone of his business. Now occasionally so I have seen, I will say, I've seen um the nineteenth hole, what's the company? Cordoba Morales. 
there have been times that they did a rolling event and brought a roller. Okay. And the, but that was in Murfreesboro at one of their bigger stores that sells their product. And they're a smaller brand anyway. I mean, not compared right. to Don Gonzalez, but. And then um, the guy with Bamp, he did some rolling, but I think he he wasn't really rolling. You know, Pedro when he comes right. here, his guy is rolling. rolling. You know, it's it's pretty. He roll he can roll about a hundred and fifty a night. And that's pretty much all he's going to roll in a night. So I know usually, you guys tried to push that this last time. Yeah, usually when he comes, we end up having him roll for two days mm. so that we can go ahead. Because we can usually move about 200 yeah. sticks in, the, in those couple of days. That's usually where our line is on right. that. So, but I am surprised nobody has exploited that a little more. But, yeah, I like your idea, too, of, like, do a taste-off. You know, you've got, you know, you only bring a handful of this and that and whatever, but, you know, and obviously someone's going to have to be, okay, you're not going to want to do that. Like, someone has to be able to put them together, but... Would you go to a fantasy cigar camp? You know, like they have fantasy rock and roll camps? Would you go to a fantasy cigar camp? Where you basically spend a day following each of the, like, the rollers, the field, like, yeah, I might. You know, if, if, I, if I was Borowitz and I had that farm down there in Florida where the, the crop got wiped out, I think I would do a fantasy cigar camp. Just have, you know, he's got good ties with Drew Estate, have Willie Herrera come in. Have you'd, have a, you'd have lines out the doors. Like, you'd, have, oh, you'd be beating people off with a stick. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think, I think that's more what you need to look toward for stuff. But this is interesting. Uh, like I said, I'm not as interested in the mechanics as I am the end product. So I would much right. rather do the blending. But would knowing that that isn't available and out there, would you still do this? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And the guy, the um, Fuente rep has offered when we were at the show to talk about us bringing a group down to Ybor City. Oh, no. And so this year when we talked to him about that, because that's one of the things I got to talk about, talk to Mark about is how do we actually put that trip together? I think this needs to be part of that trip. Be sure that, oh, we've, yeah. that we all go roll a few sticks. That'd be cool. So from Cigar Journal. Darren Chaffee and Principal Cigars to tour Southeast Asia. Um, I know Darren. Darren's an interesting guy. Um, He is not the typical cigar smoker. He's not really the common man cigar smoker. No, but he is the stereotype of what a cigar smoker is. He's what people think a cigar smoker is. (laughs) Yeah. Local boy. He's from here. Um, used to have a used to have a bar up on Demumbrian downtown. Um, so the article. It, so anyway, that's enough about him. Uh, the article is actually about the fact that he's taking principal cigars to eight different events across three cities in Southeast Asia um, through regional partner the Aficionado, which is basically a, a regional uh, private club over there. Right. So. Uh, He's going to Bali, Indonesia, uh, and Jakarta, and he's also going to other areas. So what's interesting about this is we have cigar celebrities, but I think he's the only one we have that is a cigar celebrity just for smoking cigars. You know, you got Willie, who's a blender. You've got, you know... I don't even think of this guy as a cigar celebrity, if I'm honest. Uh, because you have... 
When I think of cigar celebrities, like you've got Huber with Crowned Heads, who's really making a presence in, in the brand. You've got uh, Sean Williams with Cohiba and formerly El Premier Mundo. You've got some of these guys that really sort of light the cigar world on fire. And then you've got Darren, who just kind of exists in the world. Now, he does a lot, but I bet if you asked a hundred cigar smokers from across the world, or across the country, get out of this area where we're more likely to know him, I bet I bet 80 people wouldn't know who he is. Um, I'll say the number's higher because he won the Cigar Smoking World Championship a couple of times. I think there is a certain notoriety that come with that. So I do think there's pro- it's probably a little higher than you think. Um, Perhaps. So, But I will say this about him. I like him. I like Darren. I think he's very low pressure. He's come here and done poker night with us. He's not real he's not real pushy. Um almost to the point of you would kind of like him to be a little more enthusiastic about the product. Yeah, I and and certainly don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything bad about the guy at all. I I like him as well. I I just I find it interesting the reason I brought up this article is because I wanted to talk about, you know, he's going and doing, you know, eight eight events, I think it was, um, all over Southeast Asia, mostly Indonesia. He's bringing tobacco to a part of the country, part of the world that, that really isn't yet known for being big with cigars. But that's been changing pretty rapidly in about the last five, ten years. Within that time, particularly in China... Cigars have become the number one de facto status symbol among profiteers and, and you know, billionaires, basically. So I was kind of curious, okay, like, obviously, Principal's a small brand. They're not a, you know, unheard of brand, but in the grand scheme of things, very small brand. Very boutique. So there must be something happening over there that's drawing the attention of the cigar world. So, the, um, the last night I was in here with a friend, and he was telling me a story. He worked for a big accounting firm, and they had a guy come over from China um, to learn from them and all that. And he got put in, hit, in charge of handling this guy. So, the guy shows up at the airport, gets off the plane, gets in the car with him, and they've got a little time to kill. They haven't got to run straight to there. And so, he said, what can I take this guy and show him of Nashville? And, of course, there wasn't no concerts going on right. and didn't really want to take him to the bar scene. So he took him to Bass Pro Shops. <laughs> All right. This guy just stood and stared at the boats. He couldn't believe, and he kept just saying, so much leisure. He could not believe how much leisure we have in America. Right. How much leisure time we have that we would do. And, and my buddy told him, he said, hey, I just want you to know, not everybody in America owns a boat. Right. And I'll especially not one of these. He said, but, you know, there's a there's a fair population of people that own a boat. And so the guy was just stunned by it. And, of course, then he took him to his hotel. Just so happened there was a bass fishing tournament in oh, town. Oh, that's funny. So the parking lot had, like, 20 trucks of bass boats. That's funny. In these super expensive, super high-end bass yeah. boats. He said, well, so much for that argument. But, you know, he said the what the guy spent all of his money on, fish oil. Really? Yeah, because the Chinese fish oil sucks. Because Chinese fish oil is so low grade, low quality that they're able to get their hands on. Said he had like fifty bucks to spend because you know he's from China. He probably makes twenty dollars a year or something. And 
he's he spent like 50 bucks on fish oil, packing it in his bags and everything to bring back to China to have with his family. Interesting. Because their fish oil is of such low, low quality. <laughs> so, but anyway, so my bigger point to that whole story, besides the bass fishing joke, um, is as the life becomes easier, I think people are finding out more leisure things to have. Well, and it's interesting, too, because if you compare the American, uh, the the amount of time the average American spends, you know, outside of work compared to European countries, we don't do a very good job. But then when you compare us to Asian countries, we do a very good job. You know, we're on the other end of that spectrum for that. But I just wonder, you know, I've always heard about the you know the prevalence of, of Cuban cigars in China you know that's because you know big cigar market it's growing and it's interesting to me to see such a small boutique having having such an impact and I'm curious what as as we continue to see that grow what that's going to do if anything for the cigar market here you know the US has been the largest consumer of, of cigars in the world. For it forever, and with with things that are the way the Chinese economy is going right now, we could see a pretty significant shift. Now, the way that the way that that wealth and revenue and and, and everything is is spread out in China, I don't think we're in any danger of your average common person getting their hands on cigars. But I'd be curious, you know. All of a sudden, Cuban cigars are not going to have to be made in such a way that it's always expected that they're going to kind of subvert the boy the boycott and end up here. Well, so China is a hot topic in this shop, and because you've got the guys on both sides of the spectrum, you got guys like myself that China's not a threat. China's going to self destruct. They're going to implode long before they ever become a threat to us. And I can show article after article and things about, and everything that will show exactly the path their own leads to this. And then you've got the guys that are scared to death of China. Right. That China's going to become the world megalomaniac superpower and take over and all that. So China gets to be debated in this cigar store hotly and often. And I think the cigars, as this pertains to the cigars in China, I don't think they'll ever take a foothold. Because, there one, there's not that many rich guys, and the rich guys are are, are just trying to figure out how to get out. So I don't know how much importing you're going to do based on that. I mean, a lot of them are trying to get out, but the thing is, if you've managed to make yourself a billionaire in that system, you're probably not looking to get out of it. Well, you're probably part of the system. That's my point. Yeah, that's the, that's the only people getting rich in that system is the people that are a part of that system, but... As a spinoff of that, I do want to talk about, so from Cigar Aficionado, Cuba increases price of Cohiba Bahikis again. So they're talking about bringing these up 50%. So That's a big jump. That's a huge jump. Now, they talk about the um, prices going up. And, you know, we had the article about the um, loss of the Cuban crop because of the loss of barns and things like that. But that shouldn't be affecting it this immediate. And one of the things they didn't really cover in this article was why would they be going up? 
They just say they're going up. I don't. So, uh, no. It's so. Cohibas and Trinidad's are fixed to the Hong Kong dollar in every market around the world. So this is, this is what happens when you have state-owned companies, and you don't have public trading on a stock market or something like that. Which is, so as the as the value of the Hong Kong dollar goes down, and therefore prices on their stuff goes up, it affects every world market. And that's why, depending on what market you find yourself in, the price of these will either double or, in some case, triple, with many Cohibas approaching $100 a cigar. The Bahikes are, are now, you know, up around 300 each. Okay, so flesh that out for me. How does the... So, as the Hong Kong dollar becomes less valuable, it takes more of them to buy the same product. Right. Uh, everybody, you'll have to excuse me because the, these things are always confusing to me. So since it cost, when used to $100 would buy you a Cohiba. Now it takes $300 to buy you a Cohiba. So now that Cohiba is priced at $300 wherever it goes? It, more or less, yeah. It, it seems so weird. Think of it like when our economy used to be based on the gold standard, right? So our dollar was worth more or less depending on what the global trade pl- price for an ounce of gold was because it, it, that's what our, our value would, was tied to. So if you think of it like, like so imagine it, it but it going the, the other direction, which is that the value of this cigar is directly tied to how many Hong Kong dollars it takes to you know, equal one cigar. And so as the value goes up or down, the cost of the cigar goes up or down, but it, it affects the global market because it's being price fixed by the Cuban government. Okay. Well, let's step away for a break on that note. <laughs> Give you a chance and, to absorb all yeah, that. Yeah, let me absorb all that. Let me get all that in my head. When we come back, we got to talk about a new cutter that nobody will be able to buy and dogs. We'll you got to love dogs. <laughs> you do. We'll be back with that more after this. Back to the cigar cast is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from Trey. Trey, I have a question for you. All right. If you had a disintegration ring, and I promised to be cool, could I borrow it? <laughs> no. Why not? No, I don't trust you with it. You know, I think we need to create a disintegration ring that will not disintegrate anything biological, so that you couldn't like disintegrate your neighbor. Or your neighbor's dog or something like that. But I've got a treadmill upstairs that I want to get rid of. And just the thought of taking that son of a gun part and hauling it down the stairs is so miserable. I'd love to have a Marvin the Martian style disintegration ray. Just, just a pile of ash on the floor. Yeah, then it's the housekeeper's problem. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah, see, I think, I think you would do well. I would lend it for you. Let's say I lend it to you for two days. I think you'd be good the first day. I think you'd be well behaved with it. And I think about two hours before you gave it back, you'd you know you'd you'd hit your you'd hit your mother's turkey in the oven with it just uh, just to, for a prank, and then you've ruined Thanksgiving. Or so you just you'd accidentally just take it that one step too far. Well, I wouldn't borrow it from you on Thanksgiving. 
<laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying it would be nice to have some means of just instantly destroying something that's really heavy that you don't want to have to carry back down the stairs. I like the idea of a teleportation ray where basically it's like your computer's copy and paste. Or I guess this would be cut and paste in this right. case. So I take the, you know, I take the lockers over there and I hit them with the ray gun and it's gone poof. And then I get back to my house and I hit it with the reverse it. and it, it pops right back up. Well, I'm just thinking practically, you know, who hasn't had a couch they wish they could just destroy? Right. Who hasn't had a treadmill or some other heavy item, one of the 1960s cabinet TVs or something like that that they would just, if, if you could for one moment just pull the trigger and it be gone irrevocably, it would make life a lot easier. Uh, yeah, it would. And also, anyway... No, totally, totally abstract question, but I was pondering it today as I, because I'm thinking, of, so I'm thinking of turning my upstairs bonus room. I took the couch out of the upstairs bonus room and took it to the office. So all that's in my bonus room right now is my big eight foot bean bag. And I love safari stuff. Okay. And I know you don't, this is something you don't know about me, but I love the, uh, you know, like in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, when they go into the pub and it's the the, the sp- African pub. Yeah, the, the spears and the shields and the pith helmets. Yes. And, the- and I find a lot of that kind of stuff at yard sales. And I'm really thinking of turning my bonus room into my safari room. If I can find <laughs> like a giraffe skin cover for my bean bag up there. Right. And maybe some leopard skin couches or furniture or something like that. I really think I would like to turn Well, you're going to make Elvis proud, huh? Oh, absolutely. But this treadmill is a thorn in my side. And I would like to destroy it. I would really, I'm really thinking, can I take the window out and take the treadmill apart and just hurl it out the window? Why not just offer it up for free if you come get it out of my upstairs bedroom? Because then some stranger comes and knocks a hole in my wall or break something or you know that or it's it's fifty dollars for the treadmill which is the cheapest treadmill you'll ever see it's fifty dollars for the treadmill if you get it downstairs and load it into your car without doing any damage to my property you get your fifty dollars back say i was thinking you put a hundred dollar deposit down okay hundred bucks a hundred dollar deposit and then you go upstairs and get the treadmill you bring it down get it into your car without doing any damage to my house i'll give you your deposit back yeah I could, I could probably get behind that, but it's such a... Have you tried to give anything away on Facebook? Yeah, it's... People are more leery of your giving something away for free than they are of you asking, like, over... Uh, overpricing things. I had two desks when I moved offices that I no longer needed. Nice, big desks, very nice desks. I'd had, they'd had their life. Yeah. They had done a good job for me. They had served me well, but my time with them was done. Right. Still in excellent condition. Everything looks great. I finally just, my wife said, well, just put it on my little free cycle page. The guy calls, well, I ain't got nobody to help me carry it out. Will you help me load it? Do you think we can get them both on the back of a truck? No. Well, then I'll have to bring two trucks. It's like, dude, come get the desks or shut up. Right. It's a, As, it's a free desk, not a kidney surgery. Then we dive through all these loops, and the next morning he texts me. He's supposed to be there at 10. He texts me at 9. So I decided I don't want the desks. Yeah. And at that point, I proclaimed that I was going to carry them out in the parking lot and set them on fire. And luckily, the dentist heard me proclaim that, and he said, well, I'll take them. Well, there you go. And he's taking them. And they're over. already in the office. They're already in the office. Yours done. 
But anyway, okay. Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust, Guillotine de Saka, Cutter Taking Shape. From ha- This is from Half Wheel. All right, you brought this article up. This is interesting because this is not an article I would have seen you bringing up. So I want really, why to... not? I'm all about the accessories. Well, you don't like Sokka. Yeah, but that I wasn't even going to mention that. Um, and it's not a really impressive cutter. It's not. But see, here's. But the thing is, I want one, and I wonder if this is just because I know I can't have one. I'll never get one. So the design is brilliant. It's very slim. It's. It looks to be about the same size as the Cleaver Julius, but maybe half the depth, half as wide. It's got uh, an opening on either side, one of which is good up to a 58 ring gauge. The other one is for, it says 460 and bigger, but obviously there's got to be a top line on it. Sure. So it's a single guillotine, which I'm normally not a fan of, but this uses 420 stainless steel, which is able to hold a remarkably good edge. Because that's, that's the problem with single guillotine, typically, is that they're just never, they're too cheap, they're not sharp enough. Right, they're usually a very cheap blade. Yeah. Well, I would be more inclined, but this the guy that designed this cutter, Luigi Lucente, also made the baller. Yeah. Remember us talking about the the melon baller cigar cutter? I do. But but here's where it gets a little bit better is that it's based on but I think better, maybe worse, I don't know. It's based on a design for of a single guillotine cutter with a plastic body that was produced for Drew Estate in the 90s. So this was okay. Oh, it was up to 48 and then 50 and bigger on the other side. So, um, it wasn't quite as big as I thought it was. Anyway, so Sokka's been developing this for we don't, it doesn't say how, how long, but he's been working on this. And basically, Sokka wanted a simple single blade guillotine cutter that cut like a cheap one, has spring loaded opening, which I'm good with that. Um, where is it? Oh, and has a replaceable blade. The steel blade's designed to be easily replaceable by consumers without having to use any special tools. I love that. Other than the fact you've got to buy the blade. So I actually have. It was given to me as a gift many, many years ago. A, In fact, we used it on the show once, I think. It's a cigar cutter from the 20s that uses replaceable razor blades. Right. Wicked sharp, and if it stops being sharp, you just put a new blade in it. So, assuming this is a gen- uses a generic blade, which it easily could, I doubt it does. Um, then that's not necessarily an issue. Um, but don't you have one of those pocket knives that has the replaceable? I know you were looking at one for a while. So I have a hunting knife that has the replaceable blade on it, the um, Halo Haliton or something like that. Yeah, I have one of those that has that. I hate it. Oh, do you? Well, I hate it because... You have to buy the replacement blades from them and not well, lose them. and the way the blade hooks in does not hook in. If you get in there, because I cleaned a couple of deer with it, if you get in there and you get between a rib or something, you'll pop that blade. And then you can't get it because there's schmutz all in the track. Right. Oh. And, I'll, and you know, I love sharpening my knives. Right. So I, I bought one to try it because I thought, well, this would be handy, and I I just said, no, I'm out. Because then the blade breaks, and you're like, okay... How much of this meat have I lost now? Because how how do I not know there's not a piece of steel in right. this meat? Somewhere? And then having to dig it out to get the piece. Right, of the and then I got to try to put it back together. So I I hate that. So 
Anyway. So anyway, so Sanka told Half Wheel that there's no current plans to sell the cutter on a commercial basis due to the fact that the cost would be too high. Now, this is the part where I get really confused. All right, I've seen a picture of the cutter. I like the way it looks. I've heard the description of what the you know design parameters were, what they were going for, and I like that. Why would you sink so much R&D cost into basically a redesign of a cutter that was already made 35 years ago to so much that it's cost prohibitive to sell it? I just, I can't... This, this has got marketing scheme written all over maybe. it for me. And it's got us talking about it, for, so yeah, maybe. For me, this has got marketing scheme written all over it. What happened is they said, okay, we're going to put a $400 cigar cutter out on the market. How do we sell it? Yeah. And they said, well, you know, I've told people before, there's a lot of power in telling someone no. Because then they start working toward the yes. Yeah. When customers are in my office, if I see they're going to be a difficult customer and I see they're not going to be wanting what I do and they're not listening to me, I'll just tell them, hey, I'm not the guy for you and hand them their plans back. They never just say, well, I've never, and stand up and walk out. They always say, well, why do you feel that way? Yeah. And then I get to tell them. They've now asked. And I get to tell them, well, you're not listening to me. What you want is not what I do. The directions you're wanting to go is going to waste a lot of money. This is not a project that I'm going to be worth my fee to you on. Mm-hmm. Now, about half the time, depending on the gender of the person I'm talking to, they'll either change their ways or they'll walk out. Right. Generally, the ladies walk out. Generally, the men will change their ways and realize, oh, wait, he is worth listening to. He doesn't need my project. Yeah. Because um, they don't take it personally. It's just a difference in the way people are wired. So this, I think, is that is let's show them the cutter, but let's tell them they can't have it. Well, you're meeting with Sokka at the show. These are going to be on display when you're there. I need you to find out. And if you can five-finger discount me one and bring it back, I'll let you borrow my disintegration ray. Okay, that's a deal. (laughs) It might be easier to get with the disintegration ray. All right, move, you could just offer to move the treadmill. <laughs> that would be a little closer. So, Tim, you, you bring me one of these cutters back. I will move your treadmill for you. Country star Tim McGraw's pooch wins bet one best in breed at the Westminster Dog Show. So, this is from Rob Report, and the headline totally took me by surprise. You know. Derby weekend, the Kentucky Derby was two weekends ago, as you're listening to this. And, you know, if you've ever watched the the coverage or at, at any point, you know that celebrities buy racehorses, you know, and they, they'll buy a minor stake and then they get a piece of the purse if they win or whatever. That's been happening forever. Sure. You know, it was a, it was a main plot point in The Sopranos at one point. It never would have occurred to me that people were... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like prestige owning dogs. Yeah. So the Westminster Kennel Club show comes on every year. I used to be a faithful watcher mm-hmm. of it, but I'm not some more. The pompacity of it has kind of driven me away from the show. It took you this long to realize how pompous that show was? Um, no, it took me this long for it to bother me. Okay. And all it don't it don't generally bother me. 
But when you get in there and you see these beautiful golden retrievers and black Labradors and all of these absolutely amazing, and then you see a Leapshe, um, Brocco Italiano. <laughs> what? A, a breed that that you've, you're not going to see that breed at a dog park. Right. And it just, it looks like a hound dog. Yeah, it, well, it, it looks like a poorly colored hound dog. Well. It, it ain't nothing but a hound dog. I mean, so, I'm just, you know, when you start looking at that, so first, before I skip over to another thought, I want to, I, I do want to address your thought. So, yes, Tim McGraw owns this dog, and he's a co-owner of the dog. Celebrities co-owning dogs. How much money does the winner of the... See, that's what I'm wondering, too. Like, at least if you've got a triple crown hopeful, that's going to bring in some serious money. But, so, McGraw and his fellow owners, Christy Libator, Tony Libator, and Janelle Tanini Zanotto. So, there are four owners of this dog. I, I am the only owner of my dog, and I can't get him to listen to me. How do you listen to four... Oh, there's also a handler. So... <laughs> Yeah, and what does a handler make? I mean, what do you what do you pay a handler? Yeah. And by the way, can I just say something? Are we not in 2023 past the point where we need to grab the dog's junk right off the bat? <laughs> when you're just, oh, at, at the at the shows, yeah, at the dog shows. Yeah. I thought you meant just you were having a wild day at the Petco yesterday. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just saying. When, every time the judge puts it up there, he reaches underneath and checks the undercarriage. What's yeah, he looking buy, for? Buy it a drink first. <laughs> what's, a, what's he looking for? Is he looking for a third one? Is he looking to be sure they're there? That it's intact? Is can you not take their word for it? <laughs> I, I want to see the most likely Wes Anderson movie about what led to the switcheroo of this dog was supposed to be an intact dog, but at the last minute it died. And so rather than upset, you know, and have to refund or have to lose the fee, they just went out and got a replacement dog. Just did a stunt double. Yeah. But then all of a sudden he reaches up and goes, wait a minute, where are the balls? I'm just, I'm just curious. Disqualified. What, what they're get, What are they checking for when they reach up underneath there? I mean, if you did that to me, you'd be checking temperament, <laughs> because. <laughs> that maybe. I wonder if a judge ever got bit for that. <laughs> you, just, you just wonder that. But anyway, sorry, I got sidetracked. Here's the problem with Westminster Dog Club, Westminster Kennel Show. Before you get to that, I just wanted to double back because we were talking about this with. Um, you know, with the liquor companies and the cigar companies a couple of weeks ago, like, I wonder, I wonder how often this happens and if this is the new one. Are we going to stop seeing gin companies and start seeing show dogs as the, as the, as the uh, vanity project for celebrities? I got to think the ratings ain't going to hold up for that. Yeah, probably not. You know, in my youth, they always can't, there is three times or three times a year you didn't see Monday Night Raw. And one was Christmas, two was the Westminster Kennel Show. And the Kennel Show ratings never equaled the raw ratings. So when they renegotiated the contracts, they said, hey, you're not preempting us for the dog show anymore. Oh, because it was on the same channel. Right, it's on USA Network. Okay. I, I thought, I was about to say, surely there's not enough of a shared audience there that McMahon is like, nope, we are not competing with Westminster. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, the, um, 
There, that, so now it's show because used to what they do is they'd flip Monday Night Raw over to one of their other channels and they'd show the Westminster show on the main USA channel. And that don't happen no. anymore. So I can't think the ratings are high enough that this is going to become really in vogue and fashion. And when you see these dogs, you know these are not pets. No, these are but they're these also dogs. not working dogs. They're the they're the yeah. worst. They're the Paris Hilton of dogs. Yeah, they're just kind of there. And I would really like to see us move toward having a dog show for regular dogs. You know, one of the interesting things, so this is really great, is what, um, when you watch the dog agility competitions on ESPN. Love those. They'll put on there, when it's a mutt, they'll just put all-American dog. Right. They won't put mutt, beagle mix, whatever, whatever, whatever. They'll have the, the purebreds, they'll have their name, but when it's just a month, they'll just put all American dog. Well, it's like Oscar. I used to tell, oh, what kind of dog is he? He's a West Nashville brown dog. Like Absolutely. That. One of your better jokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the, um, can we not, we need, I think we need a dog show for common people. You know, a, one a, where you don't even sign up. You just go get people that have taken their dog with them to Lowe's, and you say you're in a dog competition now. Congratulations! <laughs> well, you know, we had an in-depth conversation about the sh- the dog trainer last week, and all in the shot collar. I think you should get points deducted if your dog if if it's obvious that your dog is scared of you or broken. Yeah. That you've trained all the joy out of this dog's life. I don't think you should win the dog. Show. Ten possible points for happiness. Yeah, for for a dog that enjoys measured himself. in wags per minute, absolutely. I, I I think there's a lot to that. I think there's that's definitely the way we need to go. I also I just I would love to see the kennel club get away from this really ridiculous breed restriction stuff. You know, like as much as I know, I'm not a huge fan of labradoodles and golden doodles and doodle 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 doodles. Yuppie doodles, Yankel, I, I Yankee cl- doodle, I, and I categorize them all under one heading: y- yuppie doodle. But they're breeds that have been established for long enough now, and there are specific characteristics that the reputable breeders are trying to go. Like, let's let's add that in. What's it going to hurt? Is it? Do you really think it's going to tarnish the reputation of your organization if you let? Like, let's let's add a, a mutt category. You know, mutts un- right. under twenty pounds, mutts under forty pounds. You know, and mutts sixty pounds and over. Dog, dogs that do a job. Yeah. Or dogs of a good story. You know, you always hear everybody, you know, my grandfather had a dog named Buck that had saved his life. He was running from a hog. He was in there. He was trimming the tusks off some baby hogs and the sow come around the corner. And when the sow, when you're trimming the tusks on baby hogs and the sow comes around the corner, she's coming for you. Right. He took off running and he fell. And when he fell, the sow's coming, and Buck come out of nowhere and hit that sow head on, this 400-pound sow. And Buck, small dog, probably 50 pounds soaking wet, held that sow off till Papa got up, got over the fence, and got safety. I think Buck should have got an award of some sort. It's, it, it, so you're saying make it like American Idol. I don't know if you ever watch any of those America's Got Talent kind of shows. It, it's always... 30 seconds of performance preceded by three minutes of human interest story about why you should vote for this. So it's, you know, you know we're going to watch this, you know, Frufu Tinkerbell run the agility course. But first, here's, here's why this one-eyed dog is a one-eyed dog. Right. Here's where he, does, where he goes out and heard, you know, the, do, do some B-roll of him chasing cows and putting cows in the barn or doing lambs or whatever it is he's Let's doing. Let's do a service animal competition. Absolutely. 
I'm, I'm all know, for I don't it. know how you trigger the people to have the seizure to get the dog into action. We'll work on that. But. Uh, that yeah, I mean, they got to be an allergy or something. <laughs> so from E Extra News. Are they on your side? Uh, well, see, I don't think this is a, this is not a big enough. This is an online publication. They're on thing. my side. They're on your side of the fence. They're definitely not on my side of the fence. The Paris Smokies Cigar of the Month is the name of that. So these guys put together a cigar club that would meet once a month and smoke different cigars and try different cigars. And it began in 2006 or 17 with six people. And all of a sudden, it bloomed up. They had a Facebook membership of 500. Oh, wow. <laughs> and ended up having 61 events, and it just spiraled so far out of control. They had to reel it back in and limit it back down to 75 people. Paris where? Do we know where this is? Uh, no. Rigby Cigar Lounge was coming to Paris, so I assume Paris, France. I'd be surprised. Well, it ain't Paris, Tennessee. I can tell you from it's, looking at the jackets these boys are No, wearing. I know it's not Paris, Tennessee. I, I was thinking Paris, Texas. Could be. but So they limited it down, but this, this article... It is, it is Paris, Texas. This article is secondary to what I want to talk about it as part of this. Okay, before we do, I just want to talk about this photo at the top of the article for a second. Because it looks like... Yeah, they're all wearing their smoking jackets. They have their pocket squares. They're the whole thing. Like, this was clearly an an intended photo shoot. The why is it so hard to put a collared shirt on if you know you're going to be wearing a blazer? You're talking about the guy that has the t-shirt or the guy that's not wearing a shirt. No, he's wearing a shirt. It's just a flesh-colored t-shirt. Oh, okay. Um, it looks like this may have been a holiday party because one of the T-shirts says Merry Christmas. The other one looks like it's got like Christmas lights around the collar. But no, everyone on the back row, those are all T-shirts. Only the woman and the two guys on the front row have, have proper shirts for a blazer. And I know it's a weird thing to nitpick, but come on. You know, at, the, at Madison, at the cigar room down in Madison, Alabama, they have a group there and they all wear the Loyal Order of the Water Buffalo hats. Oh, nice. They have the big, tall, fuzzy hats with the horns and all that stuff. I think we need to bring that here. But they have a club of guys. Well, I've thought about that, but here's the problem. Those hats are really hot. You see those guys taking those Let's hats Let's do it off. with a fez. Yeah, you definitely need to do it with something that breathes. Yeah. Something, is, you know, especially being as it's Tennessee and we're now starting the annual humidity festival. Right. Well, you know, fezes are from Egypt, so they're meant to be breathable, hot climate. I Let's, let's start a Fez club, or let's start a, a, a Royal Order club, and we'll use a Fez as our hat. Well, so here's the problem. This thing spiraled out of control, and I imagine it's funny how many things, you know, our, our poker game here on Tuesday nights. Yeah. We started it out five years ago at another shop. It's been and, longer than that. Uh, yeah, probably. eight years. Probably. Long time. Um, it was just a couple of us guys that wanted to get together and play poker. Well, then more people started showing up, and I'm, I'm the golden retriever. I can't tell somebody, right. no, you can't play with us. So the guys said, okay, fine, first 10 people here play poker. Well, we'd start at 7. By 6 o'clock, 10 people would be at the table. Yeah, and there's nothing like rolling in at 6.15 for a 7 o'clock game and going, no, you can't play. Especially on you know at the time, I was living 30, 45 minutes away. Trip wasted. So when I was elected commissioner... Um, by a unanimous vote for some reason. I said, okay, I don't care if I've got to open every table in here. 
I'm not telling nobody no. Right. Is they can make it here on time, they deserve a seat at this table. Much to the grumbling of a lot of the folks at the table. Right. A lot of the original, and I and I told all of them, hey, you made me commissioner. You go. You can't complain when I commission. Spoken have I. That's right. When if if you're gonna have if you're gonna put somebody in charge, don't complain when they're in charge. Right. So. Um, and by the time we got two years into it, we've got two tables every week for sure. Yeah. And then we get to three tables and get to 20 plus. And now we're here. The past three weeks, we've had three tables. Dang. And it keeps growing. And it keeps growing. And I don't know what I'm going to do when it grows beyond the capacity of what the shop... Because the shop obviously doesn't want to shut down on Tuesday nights just for poker. Right. But at the same time, part of the reason that Tuesday night became poker night was because it was such a slow night. And so it's not, you know, it's gotten busier now because of poker, but it's still, I mean, I haven't been here on a, since you moved to this shop on, on poker night. I haven't played with you guys in a very long time. Is there room to add another table or is that the point at which you start encroaching? Well, so I've, I've seen this coming and I've went ahead and, and to this shop's credit, they said, fine, we'll have one of our guys, will you teach him to deal, and we'll let him be a dealer. So most weeks, if there's two tables, it's going to be he and I dealing. Yeah. And then if we have three tables, we have another person. If we have four tables, Glenda can always deal a table. So I could house up to four tables, but I try to keep it at six, maybe seven. Right. So even at seven, we're maxed out at 28. Right. So there's there's going to be a time when it comes that the poker game has more people than we can service. And I don't know, how do you do that? How do you navigate those sort of situations? It makes me wonder, you know, do you, do you give a short stack to the first rotation in when the first person goes out? So if you're first out, you don't get a rebuy and someone on the wait list gets your seat? Well, so what, one of the things when we started having two and three tables all the time, I, you know, used to you had one rebuy and then someone could give you their rebuy. Right. I shut that down. Now you got one rebuy, that's it. Yeah. You want, you're one rebuy and then you're, you're one and done when you're sitting in my poker. And table. at a certain point, if you haven't used your rebuy, you're, it's, it's, it's lost. Gone. Yeah. When I call the end of rebuys, if you still got one, that's, that's your deal. Yeah. And so that helped a lot as far as... Because I always want the game to start at 7, and I want it done by 9.15. Right. And Which gets harder and harder when you end up with 28 people. Right. The more people you have, the harder it is to keep that game moving at that pace. Although part of me wonders about that, because you're... Theoretically, as you increase the number of players, your, your, your percentage of aggressive players is going to st- remain fairly constant. So... You know, for every six new players, you're going to get one super aggressive dude who's going to go out in the first, you know, couple of hands anyway. Well, but the way we do it, typically your aggressive players are your more, they require a little more upkeep. So as the commissioner, they sit at my table. Yeah. And my table's gotten known as the assassin's table because I have all the aggressive players at my table and let them kill they each other They cancel off. each other out. Right. I let them kill each other off pretty quick. That way, the people that are not as aggressive can enjoy their game. Right. Because there's nothing worse. If you're, if you're not an aggressive player... Oh, I, that, that was a big reason why I stopped playing. Right. You couldn't enjoy the game. Right. 
So I've, I've fixed that part of it. The aggressive players, I put them all at my table and make them battle Fight it to out. the death. Yeah, they duel it out for their own. So that's helped a lot. But this article made me think about this as I was kind of experimenting around and thinking about what the future of our poker game is as it pertains to this. Now, and I don't like, you know, they just said, okay, fine, we're going to limit it to 75 members. So do they have a waiting list? Are you waiting on one of the guys to die or move away? <laughs> I, I'd imagine probably, you know, I was a member of a club similar to this when I lived in Memphis. It was called MAPS, Memphis Memphis Area Puffer Society. It was made up of, of pipe and cigar smokers. I'm sure it's gone now because the shop that supported it is is no longer there. But, yeah, at a certain point, you just have a wait list. I think so. I think at a certain point, we'll have to figure out another way to do it, and it'll be interesting to see. So tell me your thought on the Aliados. You know, I really like it. This is so much better than the expensive one. I would say, you know, it would make a great breakfast cigar or a great road trip cigar, which you said it's right around the 12 bucks range. Yeah. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say fishing or golf, because it's, it's, it's hard to, to lose a $12 cigar when you're two inches in if something happens. But for... Yeah, as a road trip cigar, as a breakfast cigar, as something that you're not looking for your world to be rocked, which I know you want every cigar you smoke to blow you away. But I actually really like it. I'm enjoying it. I've enjoyed this a lot more. It started out with a lot of that cardboard taste, but that's mellowed out. And I've even put a retro hell on it a couple of times, and it's got a really good full retro hell, but not necessarily scald the inside of your nose. I'm getting a lot more of a smoky flavor now, and and like a like like off the grill smoky. Yeah, I'm getting a lot more of that. I mean, it's it's turned into a really good cigar, mm-hmm. especially compared to what I thought it would be. And I've, I really wanted to smoke it because I wanted you to give... I was hoping you would like it and give me a reason to tell somebody, well, it's not my palate, but Trey likes it. It's um, got... Yeah, I'm getting a lot of really woody tones. Now, that cardboard has turned to sort of oak and hickory. Yeah, I, I like it. It's. I mean, for me, this is definitely a five and a half. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to put on it. I think this is a five and a half all day long. This is a great cigar. Um Real enjoyable, good workhorse stick. The price is is at the top end of what you'd pay for a workhorse stick. Yeah, it's it's pushing the envelope a little bit. There. I like but the size. It's a Churchill though. though, so you get a little bit more for it. Yeah, and I grabbed us the Churchill because I like the Churchill size. Yeah, I'm a big fan of a Churchill. Um, and it's interesting the the Churchill is coming on stronger and stronger around here as the palate of this shop matures. So tell them how they get a hold of us, Trey. You can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigarcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast and email info at the cigarcast.com. Well, thank you everybody for listening this week. If you get a chance, do us a rate and review and then have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.